So when I was a boy, my parents loaded all six of us kids in a van and we drove to Chicago to go see an exhibit at a museum. And this exhibit featured artifacts from a tomb who was one, from the guy who was once referred to as the boy king. How many of you ever heard of King Tut? We went to go see King Tut's stuff. King Tut began his rule at age nine. He ruled the Egyptian empire from about 1360 to about 1350 BC. And when his tomb was opened, when it was discovered in 1922, it was filled with more than 5,000 artifacts. There were so many treasures in this tomb that it took them 10 years to catalog all of them. As a kid, when I went and we toured some of these things, I was blown away. And one of the things that blew me away the most was all the gold. I thought that was really cool. There was gold furniture. There was gold jewelry. There were gold decorations. There were gold instruments. There were gold weapons. And the most spectacular artifacts of all were these gold coffins, plural. One coffin evidently wasn't enough. They did like kind of the nesting doll kind of thing with coffins. With, on the very inside, some of you might recognize this, on the very inside of the last coffin was his death mask. Does anyone recognize this iconic piece of art? It's one of the most famous pieces ever. That was his death mask. All of these priceless objects were found in a tomb. The boy king tried to take it all with him. But when the tomb was opened 3,000 years later, the gold was still there. Gold that had been hidden in darkness. Gold that was covered with dust. Reflect on that for just a minute. And then write this down in your notes. You can learn a lot about a king by observing how they steward the kingdom's gold. Isn't that true? You can learn an awful lot about a king by how they steward the kingdom's gold. And as a child, I was enamored by this. I went from exhibit to exhibit, especially the weapons. I thought they were super cool, you know? But I went from exhibit to exhibit thinking this gold is so cool. I wish I could have what he had. But as I got older, I began to understand the price that was paid for that gold. Gold that ended up in darkness collecting dust. The Egyptian pharaohs, they acted as if they were gods themselves. And as gods, they behaved like they were entitled to the kingdom's gold. And there's a place to write this down too. History is filled with examples of kings who gathered gold like it was theirs to keep. Isn't that true also? History is filled, filled with kings who gathered gold like it was theirs to keep. The pharaohs of Egypt were like many of the kings that came before them, many of the kings who came after them. They enslaved people. They demanded oppressive tribute. They constructed monuments to themselves while ignoring the cries of the poor. And they placed their trust in idols that couldn't deliver. King Tut was just one of many Egyptian pharaohs who were buried in an area called the Valley of the Kings. Valley of the Kings. Because he died at such a young age, he was about 19 when he died, it appears as though the boy king, get this, was buried in someone else's tomb. They think he was buried in someone else's tomb. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? There were other pharaohs who reigned longer than Tut. There were pharaohs who accumulated more wealth than Tut. Most of us don't even know their names, in part because thieves broke in and stole 
their treasures long ago. How tragic is that? Those kings had all that gold, more gold than tut. They invested their one and only life accumulating all of this wealth for themselves, trying to make a name for themselves, only to discover after it was too late they couldn't take the gold with them and very few people even remember their name. The pharaoh that most people remember was a boy king who was buried in someone else's tomb. Before our time is finished today, we're going to contrast that boy king buried in someone else's tomb with another boy king who was buried in someone else's tomb. And specifically, we're going to contrast how they responded to gold and what they did with it. King Tut's timeline is on our historical timeline. It's part of history, as are the events recorded in the Old Testament. Those timelines overlap with one another. About 300 years after King Tut, the children of Israel were guided by a prophet named Samuel. Israel had no king in those days. They were governed by people like Moses and then Joshua. And then as time went on, these people called the judges, one of which was named Samuel. Well, Samuel was getting old and he was about to transition leadership over to his sons. But there was a problem. His sons were knuckleheads. That was the problem. Really big knuckleheads. They did not follow in the ways of Samuel and they were willing to make moral compromises for selfish gain. So one day, Israel's elders came to Samuel. They said, Samuel, before you die, you got to take care of the situation. We don't want those boys. What we want is a king. We want a king. All the cool nations have kings. And so we want to be like the cool kids. We want a king. Well, Samuel's gut told him that taking your cues from the culture, not usually a good idea. But being a man of God, he said, I'm going to put it to prayer. He went to prayer, and we actually have that prayer recorded in our Bibles. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, okay, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you, they've rejected who? Me. They rejected me as king over them. Only, go ahead and let them have what they want. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who's going to reign over them. Tell them what they're in for, which they should have already known, right? Well, Samuel did as the Lord instructed. He did his best to warn the people. He said, those kings that you want, they're going to take. They're going to take, they're going to take, they're going to take. They're going to take your sons for the army. They're going to take your daughters for their palaces. They're going to take the best of your fields. They're going to take the best of your livestock. And the people said, oh, you got a point. That, we didn't think about that. We should really reconsider what we're asking for. Why would we want to be like the rest of the nations? Is that what they said? Let's take a look. Verse 19. They said, no. There shall be a king over us, and their logic is so sound, so that we can be like the, <laughs> the rest of the nations. Oh, man, what a low bar. All of that came to pass. It came to pass. The children of Israel became like the other nations. And what a tragedy that was. They found themselves paying tribute to kings. They found themselves mixing their worship of God with devotion to idols. 
and they began neglecting the poor, neglecting the oppressed. So God continued to send messengers. He continued to send messengers. And in these weeks leading up to Christmas, as we've been saying here in the service, what we're, we're going to do is we're going to press into one of those messengers, the prophet Isaiah. We're going to look into what some of the things that he said, some of the messages that he brought for God. So let's go back to our notes as we set this up. The prophet Isaiah, he brought good news of a coming king. And that king was from, going to be from the line of who? The line of David. This great king that was going to come was from the line of David. Now, King David was far from perfect, but he did possess a heart for God. And Isaiah brought good news of a great king that would come from David's line. So here's one of Isaiah's many prophecies about this coming king. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to this one. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. We keep a stack in the back table there on your way out. Please grab one as a gift for you. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. The words of Isaiah say this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who is David's father. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. In the fullness of time, this prophecy came to pass. We read about it every Christmas Eve Eve here at this church. Let's take a look. You can keep a bookmark in Isaiah because we'll come back to Isaiah. And let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Here's this prophecy fulfilled, this, that a king was going to come in the line of David. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, so... Long-awaited day comes. Hundreds of years in the waiting. This king, this awaited king comes, and he was laid not in a cradle of gold, but in a manger. They laid him in a manger. Now, that wouldn't be the first time that there was a king who started in humble circumstances, but one of the big differences here, the king chose that. He chose that. This coming king, of all the ways he could have came into the world, he chose the manger. And what we see in the life of Jesus is we see that that was just not a one-off. We see when he comes into his ministry as an adult, let's take a look at what this looks like. What happens when this king becomes an adult? Let's look at the path that he chose. So let's write this down and then let's take a look at it. I encourage you to write this down. The prophet Isaiah, he brought good news about a coming king. And that coming king was going to be filled with the spirit of God. 
This king was going to be different than the other kings of this world. This king was going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, let's start with the prophecy, and let's look at the fulfillment. This is from Isaiah chapter 61, 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the prophecy said, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a different king, right? Instead of take, 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 which is what the other kings did. What does this prophecy say about the new king? When the child in the manger became a man, let's take a look at now how he launches his ministry. It's so different. This is from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and a big old smirk came over Jesus' face. He's like, ha ha, just you guys wait. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, if you have your Bible with you, look back to what comes right before this. In the same chapter, right before this chapter opens, that same spirit who was upon him, where did that same spirit lead him right before this? Led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil right before this. So you remember temptation number two. The tempter took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to this person on the verge of stepping into his kingship, you can have all of it. You can have all of it. All of the kingdoms of this world can be yours if you will just bow down and worship me. It can all be yours. Isn't that what the kingdoms of this world want? The kings of this world, right? They want the kingdoms. They want that. What an offer. Wow. And how did the one who was anointed by the Spirit reply to Satan's offer? He said, it is written, worship the Lord and serve him only. Only. This was a very, very different king. Very, very different king. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 says this of the king. He says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. All right. What do the kings of this world gather? They like to gather power, right? They like to gather the gold. What is Jesus going to gather? What does he treasure most? What a different king. What a different kingdom. No wonder that so many people who have come to personal faith in God, the God of the Bible, describe him as light. It, it, they say it's, there's, the rest is darkness. We're walking in darkness. This is a light. This is a better way. This illuminates the way things should be. 
There's a place to write this in your notes. A prophet Isaiah, he brought good news about a coming king. And one of the things that made this good news is that this king was going to bring light. He's going to bring light into a dark world. We looked at both of those passages that are on the screen that are also in your notes. We looked at both of those last week. When the light of the world came to earth as a baby, a corresponding light appeared in the heavens in the form of a star, right? And wise men from the east, they followed that light all the way to Jesus. And when they found him, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these are valuable gifts. These are the kind of gifts that you bring to a king, right? This is what you give to a king. But watch this. Unlike the kings of this world, the kingdom's gold was actually his. In fact, everything was actually his. The kings of this world, they act like it's theirs to keep. In this case, it is his. Through him, we read in Genesis, what? All things were made through him. So it's actually his. And they're offering it up to him. And yet, listen to this. And yet, instead of take, 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 instead of instructing people to fashion gold idols in his image, instead of spending a lifetime accumulating wealth only to have it buried with him in his tomb, what did Jesus do? And what did he teach? He instructed us to take and to steward his resources. Flip this whole thing around. Instead of I take and I do with as I please. He gives and instructs us to steward it well. To steward his resources in ways that carry out his mission. And what a good mission it was. To proclaim good news. To open people's eyes. To set people free. This is one of many reasons why the birth of this king is the one that separates history. That whole A-D-B-C thing. It was meant to divide history on the birth of this king. Not the pharaohs, not any this king. Because this king was so different than all the kings who had come before him. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, the event that split history in two Here's a question that we're going to ask throughout this series. How are you preparing your heart and your home for a fresh advent of Christ this Christmas? Are you taking advantage of this season where we're going to celebrate the event that split history in two? Are you taking advantage of this season to say, I actually don't want to just sing, let earth receive the king. I actually want to receive the king as king. That's what we're challenging. That's what we're encouraging for this season. Well, last week, we read from Matthew's Christmas account. And when we did, we read that the wise men who followed the light said, we have come to worship him. That's what they said. We come to worship him. And they worshiped with more than words. Next week, we're going to look at that gift of frankincense. And we're going to ask the question, what could worship, that's frankincense worship, look like? And in two weeks, we're going to look at what could myrrh worship look like? This morning, with the time we've got left, Let's look at what a gold response could look like. What could it mean for us to receive a king and worship him with gold? Well, we've already seen how the Egyptian kings, they acted like they were gods themselves. 
And as gods, they behave like, all right, this is mine. I'm entitled to this, to the kingdom's gold. They constructed monuments to themselves while ignoring the cries of the poor. They placed their trust in idols that couldn't deliver. Is that the kingdom you want to build? Where we feed the narrative that we are entitled to the kingdom's gold. Where we collect status symbols while we ignore the cries of the poor. Where we place our trust in idols that cannot deliver. Let's be honest and let's contrast a disciple of the pharaohs with a disciple of Jesus. That's strong language. I think it's accurate. Disciple of the pharaohs or disciple of Jesus. So here's some thoughts to that end. There's a place to write that's down. First bullet. Honoring the king with his gold. Here's where I think the starting line is. You practice God first giving. God first giving. If you want to prepare your heart and your home for a fresh advent of Christ this Christmas, it starts with saying, God, you get my first. You get my best. Jesus was known as the son of David. Here's a glimpse into David's understanding of how all this works. From 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 through 14. And if with all these passages, we encourage you to look them up in context. Fact check us on all this stuff. Anytime anyone talks, especially about money, fact check them on that. Right? So here we go. Here's David's understanding of how all this works. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth. It's whose? All of it. It's yours, God. It's all yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Who am I? What is my people? That we should be able to thus offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. This is a great summary of what the Bible teaches about stuff. You'll find the same teaching in different words, in different ways, but it's basically this. Everything is God's. Anything we can give, we're simply giving back what we were first given. And it was never ours to keep. The start of a new year is a great time to assess. Am I a disciple of Jesus? Do I give him my first and my best? Let's go to bullet two. Honoring the king with his gold. Another thought on this. Present your tithe and offerings as part of your weekly worship. Let me explain why I believe this is important. If you go to the scriptures, you're going to see that God built several festivals into each year. He built them in. So that we would remember, 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 remember. And built into those festivals, at least many of them, was the giving of our first and our best of the fields and of the flocks. It was an act of thanksgiving to say, God, thank you. This all comes from you. It was an act of faith to say, I'm trusting you with this when I could really use it. And it was an act of worship to say, God, this is yours. We just want to honor you for it. Now, when Jesus died and rose again, fulfilling what those festivals pointed to, the early church began to worship weekly and worship on Sunday. Why did they pick Sunday? Because that was resurrection day, the first day of the week when Jesus rose again. They began to gather on that day, the first day of the Hebrew week. 
And as disciples of Jesus began integrating their conscious giving of their tithes and offerings, they began integrating it into this new weekly rhythm. And when I was a boy, that was part of our weekly rhythm at the church I grew up in. In fact, I'm going to give you one of the prayers that we said as our offerings were being received by our church. And I wasn't planning to do this, but the first service, I tried to do it from memory. And I hadn't, I mean, I, I, I never tried to memorize these words. But because we said them weekly, see if I can do it again. I seem to start here. Blessed are you. All right. Blessed, old you, blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and we dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that we have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Close? Close? All right. I, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I think about those words and as I was a kid, it was just mechanical. It was stuff that we did. How do you, you can't really improve on these words though, can you? They're beautiful. In a culture like ours, that promotes a very different kingdom, do you think it might be a good and God-honoring thing to pause at least once a week as a course correction and to remind ourselves that all good things come from God, to thank him for his provision, to offer ourselves and our gifts, and to rededicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that he has made. You know, and here's where the apology comes. I gave this apology at 9.15 as well. We used to receive offerings each week here as part of our worship and ironically we stopped that practice and this is on me we stopped that practice because we thought it was distracting to our worship when this is worship 101 and so if you could join me in praying and some people actually have started giving me some ideas already of how do we integrate this back in before the end of 2020 and do it well because it's really easy to do it not well isn't it It's one of the reasons we haven't integrated it back in yet. We want to do it well so that it doesn't feel like just another organization asking for more money. How many have been asked for money recently by an organization all the time? But it, so it doesn't feel like that, but rather it truly is authentic, authentic worship. God, we're offering back to you once a week. That would be a good thing. So please send me your ideas and be praying about that. All right, we have one more bullet and I love talking about this one. I love talking about this one because here's, The goal. How do you honor the king with his gold? You practice joyful stewardship. That's where we're trying to go. Joyful stewardship. The example I keep coming back to when it comes to joyful stewardship is this. When my youngest daughter was a preschooler, she used to love to give gifts. Well, when you're a preschooler, (laughs) what do you have to give? You only have that which was given to you, right? And so she would sometimes even go into our cupboard. She would take Oreo cookies. She would wrap them up and she'd be like, here, here. Isn't that the target, you guys? Isn't that the target? Where we can come to the place of everything I have is yours, God. Here you go. Here you go. Mm. To arrive at a place where we joyfully give that which was first given to us. All right, here's a reminder that's worth writing down. It is easy to forget the broken promises of idolatry and miss the blessings of faithfulness. Let me say that one more time, and then I'm going to hope to hear at least one amen to that. It is easy to forget the broken promises of idolatry and miss the blessings of faithfulness. All right. Now, I know those are strong words. 
But if you fact check me in the scriptures, the Bible uses a lot stronger words than this even. As I was praying about this message, a thought popped into my head. And the thought was this. In both of those borrowed tombs, the one of the boy king from Egypt and the other boy king, who also was in a borrowed tomb, both of those tombs were empty. It was just a very different kind of empty. King Tut's tomb was empty. Jesus' tomb was empty. It was a very different kind of empty. King Tut's tomb was filled with beautiful objects, but they were hidden by darkness. They were covered with dust. In a world where gold can be used to do so much good, how empty is that? How empty is that? When I was in college, now here's where the personal conviction comes in. When I was in college, I used to work on the back of a garbage truck. And I passed that same dump every time I go to visit my family in Hastings. That same dump. And where the ground used to be a little closer to the rest of the ground, it now looks like the foothills going into the Rockies. And every time we pass it, it's higher and higher and higher. Here's the conviction that came across me as I was prepping this week. At least in the case of King Tut, people would want his stuff. As we go into the ground, how much of the stuff that we have chased after and given so much to, how much of it's in a landfill? When we're buried, think about the stuff that we chased after. How much of it is just wasted? I wrote my notes. That garbage dump, that's our valley of the king's. It's our valley of the kings. And how empty, how empty is that? As a child, I was enamored by all the gold that the boy king possessed. But as I got older, I began to realize the price that was paid for it. Do you ever feel that same way as you start to really think about what's happening around us? You know, we, the, the people in that day, they're like, I want to be like the neighbors. We a lot of times think, I want to be like the neighbors. Look at all they're doing. They're doing so well. And then you actually read the stats. And you get behind those doors. And as a pastor, I get behind those doors. And you start to know what's actually going inside those homes where it looks like everything is going so well. And the stress that is in that house. The anxiety over are we going to lose it all. The, the, the stress that comes with that. The levels of debt that are out there. And then there's this. The inability to enjoy a life that most of the world can only dream of. Because we are so focused on what we don't have, we can't even enjoy the things that most of the world would dream of. Let me read it as I wrote it. The levels of debt and financial stress and the inability to enjoy a life that most of the world can only dream of testify to the reality that mammon is no less a tyrant than the masters that the children of Israel sought as a replacement for their God. Let me repeat that one more time. The levels of debt and financial stress, the inability to enjoy a life that most of the world can only dream of, testify to the reality that mammon is no less a tyrant than the masters that the children of Israel sought as a replacement for their God. Do we want what the neighbors have? Maybe not as much as we thought. God wants to set us free from that. 
He wants to set, he wants to open the eyes of the blind. He wants to set us free from that oppression. In the days of the prophets, the people said, we want to be like our neighbors. Jesus invites us to follow him down a very different path. One that leads to a very different kind of empty tomb. What was King Jesus buried with? Not a lot, right? But what kind of legacy did he leave? Isn't that the kind of empty tomb that we want? Isn't that the kind of legacy that we want to leave behind for the next generation? There's just one last blank in your notes. Let's fill it in and then let's commit to that end. Let's shine. Let's shine in 2020. Brighter than we've ever shined before. In this world of great darkness, of debt, of financial anxiety, of material pursuits and chasing after the wind, let's shine. You can learn a lot, not only about a king and by how they observe or how they uh, steward the kingdom's gold. You can learn a lot about a church by observing how they steward the kingdom's gold. And a church can only shine as brightly as who? Each one of us. We can only shine as brightly as each one of us. We serve a great king. Can I get an amen to that? What a great king. What other king does this? What other king has everything and gives, 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 and entrusts us? I'm not that trustworthy. Certainly not as I want to be. Right? I'm trying with the spirit. He trusts us. He trusts us. And he cast this great king. He cast a vision for a very different kingdom. A kingdom where he is the king. And the people follow his good teachings, his good example. A kingdom where we don't take, take, take. A kingdom where we invest as little as possible into the filling of landfills. And we pour as much as possible into people. A kingdom where we experience joy of being a conduit of his blessings. A kingdom where we experience the peace that comes with knowing that everything is his. He can put anything he wants into the hands of anyone he wants. And what does he say? He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be what? You'll have what you want. And even more than having what you want, you'll actually have what you really need. And there'll be times where he'll refine you, refine you like gold. And sometimes it takes the removal of that from our hands to refine us, right? Let's prepare our hearts and homes for that, for that. We'll do it here in just a second. But before we do, I want to let you know in your notes, you know, in these inserts we have called Headlines and Happenings, I mean, there are just gems here. These things look like these little announcements, but there's gems, you know? I was there at the office last night, and I saw men meeting for game night, and they were having a blast, you know? And, and these Christmas Eve, Eve services are going to be really good. Well, one of the gems on here, second from the bottom, financial peace. If you're in a situation where you're thinking, man, I would love to experience more of this peace, this is a great, great, great opportunity to do that. Actually, Tim is right here. Tim, could you raise your hand? Tim has um, been heading up those before. So if you want to have questions about financial peace, I'm sure he would be willing to talk to you. It's a great way where you can experience more peace. It's helped a whole lot of folks. So there's practical things we can do. But it all starts with a decision. Which king am I going to follow? What kind of disciple am I going to be? Let's make that call right here, right now, and then we'll seal this time with a song. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, oh, thank you just sounds so empty. Wow. We're amazed 
Father. That word behold, that word behold, that we see in the account of Christmas, such a great word because we are beholding something very, very different, someone very, very different. Lord, thank you for this vision that you cast, and we pray that that spirit that was upon your son Jesus, Father, we pray that you pour out that spirit upon us. Set us free. Open our eyes. Help us to align with your kingdom. Help us become disciples of you where we're learning more and more and more how great you are. And we're learning more and more and more how, and we're experiencing it, not just in our heads, we're experiencing the joy of stewarding your things well, bringing peace into our lives, bringing good things into the lives of others. Father, we pray that through your spirit, you would help us right here, right now, to make that decision, 2020. We're going to look to you first. We're going to honor you with that which you have entrusted to us. Now, Lord, help us to know what that means. And help us right here in this moment to gather around that manger and to reflect on what a wondrous, wondrous sign you sent. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.